here at Super Talk. But joining us now is Douglas Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Douglas, good to see you. Good morning, Mississippi. So you have uh, recently published uh, a platform, uh, has the MCPP, for Mississippi, kind of a roadmap for Mississippi that uh, would guide the state with conservative policy. Tell us about that. Well, all of Mississippi's statewide elected um, officials are self-identified conservatives, and they have been for quite a long time. So on behalf of Mississippi's overwhelmingly conservative voters, (laughs) we thought we would publish a list of things that any real conservative lawmaker ought to be able to support. We think there are a series of practical things that people in Mississippi can do to lower taxes, to generate prosperity, to improve education, to cut the cost of health care. And so we publish this in the hope and the expectation that in the 2023 legislative session, um, some bills come forward to make these things a reality. Okay. And I and I reviewed that. So uh, I want to say, as I recall, top on the list was cutting taxes. Yes. We have got a massive budget surplus, and we saw earlier this year, 2022, um, a big tax break for Mississippi families. The uh, income tax rate is, in effect, reduced from about 7% down to mm-hmm. uh, 4%. But that's still going to leave in the 2024 session, we estimate, um, nearly a billion-dollar surplus. And what is it that we should do with that? Should we, A, allow politicians suspended on their pet projects and fritter it away? Or B, give it back to Mississippi taxpayers. (laughs) We think we should give it back to Mississippi taxpayers, either, as the governor has very encouragingly said, through a further reduction in the personal state tax rate, or I think perhaps even um, corporation tax break for small businesses. Most businesses that pay corporation tax in Mississippi are not giants. They're not not Nissan. They're not big companies. They're small mom and pop operations. Why not give a tax break to every business in Mississippi that, for example, has fewer than 100 employees? Well, presently, most of those, of course, are pass-through businesses, so they pass through their income and file um, as individuals. So are you thinking about uh, something that would, uh, like the federal government did with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which which reformed the pass-through provisions mm-hmm. and uh, essentially uh, reduced their overall tax liability. Yep. I mean, there are different ways of doing it. But generally speaking, I hope any conservative out there, any conservative lawmaker can agree, if you've got a nearly a billion-dollar surplus, the thing to do is to actually give people back that money through reducing the tax burden. Um, I I was very encouraged that the governor recently came out and said he wanted to build on the 2022 uh, reduction in the personal income tax. Put it another way, the southern United States is prospering. It's doing incredibly well from Texas to Florida to Tennessee. Mississippi is beginning to join that southern success story. Yeah. But we're doing it because we're getting government out of the way we're reducing regulation and we're cutting tax, and we need to build on that and 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 go further than we've done so far. So, as you recall, just sticking with the tax uh, subject, as you recall, the House did pass a bill mm-hmm. that would totally eliminate the income tax, but it also included some increases mm-hmm. in in sales taxes, which yep. is our other major source of revenue at the state level. But that didn't get any traction yep. in the Senate. Do, do you feel, have you done some some, uh, some modeling, some math to see if it's possible to 
completely eliminate the income tax without raising sales tax. We're doing some at the moment. I'm not a big fan of tax swaps because, as you point out, previously when a proposal for a tax swap has come forward, the people that are going to theoretically gain from the reduction don't know it, and the people that sense that they're going to pay for the increased tax on on sales tax, they, they, they definitely feel it and they let you know about it. Rather than a tax swap, I think straightforward reduction. But it's got to be sensible. So we're publishing something called the Responsible Budget for Mississippi. We want to avoid doing, for example, what happened in Kansas, where there were um, excessive tax cuts that um, there was no control of of spending, Spending. and they got into trouble. The budget that we're uh, publishing on the 27th of this month, immediately after Christmas, it it, it is modeled, and it shows um, that if you control the spending that will allow you to further reduce tax cuts. And what we've done, and we look back over the past 10 years at the rate of population change in Mississippi and inflation, and we think spending in Mississippi in the 2024 um, financial year should not be higher than that allowed by inflation and changes in the population. I see. So then, based on that, then I would assume that this model, which will you be releasing on the 27th? Yeah. Okay. So I look forward to seeing that. So that then does call for some phasing out, some period to phase out the income tax altogether without uh, raising taxes on on sales taxes, which is the other source of revenue. And the way you do it is you build in so-called thresholds. So Mm -hmm. when you've got a surplus of a certain amount, that will allow you to reduce the income tax rate further. And you you do it sensibly. You've got to avoid... I was very struck earlier this year when there were those in the Senate in particular who were opposed to tax reduction. They came out with this point... What about Kansas? How do we mm-hmm. avoid being like Kansas? Or in my own case, how do we avoid being like the United Kingdom where you make yeah. unfunded tax cuts? You do that by controlling spending. So the budget that we're publishing on the 27th, immediately after Christmas, starts by controlling spending. We've got this fiscal rule. And if you abide by that fiscal rule, there's no danger of unaffordable tax cuts. I see. Are you concerned at all about uh, possible macroeconomic headwinds that might impact these uh, the essentially just evaporate these surpluses that we're currently producing or certainly reduce them substantially. When you got a big spending Biden administration in Washington, goodness knows what macroeconomic headwinds <laughs> you could face. But cast your mind back to the late 1970s, early 1980s, when the Reagan administration came in and was advocating for tax reduction, they were told, you know, you can't afford it. Look what happened in the 70s. The way you get out of a 70s type economic scenario Mm -hmm. is through tax reduction. So, you know, no one can be absolutely clear, but we think in our modeling that the surplus that we have is what economists would call a structural surplus rather than a cyclical surplus. So we don't think it's going to evaporate entirely overnight. Okay. Yeah. So in other words, it just stays constant and it's not as subject to uh, just economic uh, dynamics and changes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reluctant to say 100 percent. Look at what's happened economically um, over the past few years. Events have come along. But insofar as an economist can be sure, we think that we can afford to use some of this surplus to further reduce taxes. Okay, When it's accompanied by uh, some sort of spending uh, reductions or certainly just reining in spending, control spending, rate of spending. Control spending, and then you can afford these things. Gotcha. Okay, so you, I believe, also suggested that 
we need to uh, to get the citizen initiated ballot measure yeah. process we need to renew democracy we think we need a right of recall for local mayors okay. now some people say well, what about why not everyone let's start with mayors everyone knows examples where you've got a mayor who is not very good at the job and the reason why they get elected is because they control the local party machinery and whoever is the candidate for that party automatically gets in mm-hmm. have a right of initiative so that actually people out of election season can judge whether or not their local mayor is doing the job. Okay. Uh, we also need to fix the right of initiative. You know, we had this really important initiative on the issue of medical marijuana. The Supreme Court ruled that it wasn't valid because the trigger mechanism was broken. So let's fix it. We think that in Mississippi, it should be possible for ordinary citizens to vote to change the law. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, of course, you know the story there. We, we got something out of the House, went to the Senate didn't really uh, come out of the Senate, so yep. we ended up with nothing, yep. and we presently have nothing. I think part of the problem is should the right of initiative be to amend the Constitution or to change the law? If it's to change the Constitution, then I think the threshold should be incredibly high because sure. you, you shouldn't have regular votes to try to amend the Constitution. But if it's changing the state law, I think you can afford to have a lower threshold because fundamentally, if you have a vote to change the state law, the legislature can change it back. If if people vote for something and it turns out to be a bad move, yeah, you can you can you can undo you can undo it. And I so I think the Senate I hope will allow a lower threshold to change state statutes. Yeah, I, and I I feel like I, I've interviewed a number of uh, members of the uh, legislature in the last few weeks, just in advance of them convening. I think there's certainly an appetite there for them to get something done here. I've sort of described this as a big unfinished piece of business. There's a massive appetite amongst your listeners. No doubt about it. And and agree. And that's what I've shared with them as well. So hopefully the House and Senate. we got a break right here. you got some more stuff in your plan I want to talk about when we come back. Thank you. we got Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Stay with us. Mississippi, talking to Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. We're just discussing uh, MCPP's uh, blueprint for uh, conservatism in conservative policy in Mississippi as we approach the upcoming legislative session 2023. Hard to believe, just a couple of weeks away, they'll all be convening under the dome. So, all right, so we've talked about the plan or your proposal, suggestion, recommendation, mm-hmm. cut taxes, uh, establish a recall process, at least at the local level, for, mm-hmm. to recall mayors, and then uh, getting a ballot measure, a citizen-initiated ballot measure process shored up and reenacted and available to the citizens. Let's keep going. Education next on the list, I see. What do you want to do there? We think there needs to be transparency in public education. Um, A lot of mums and dads are very concerned as to what's being taught in the classroom. Surely it should be a right for people to know what their children are being taught. So we would support a law that ensures parents can see what their children are being taught and that curriculum materials should be posted online. Um, It's low cost. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I think in previous um, publications, we've shown that critical race theory is being promoted, but it's difficult to know how prevalent that is. And I think it's important not to over-exaggerate it, but transparency, I think, you know, um, sunshine is the best disinfectant. If people knew these things were being taught to their children, I think they'd soon put a stop to it. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I agree, and I hear it from, from parents, uh, and not just parents, but just concerned Mississippians in general, and they believe they should have a voice in education, and I'm, and I'm with them. I support that. But in, in addition, what about um, education choice mm-hmm. and ed- education freedom there? Yeah. How do you feel about that? We, we think that school choice is really important, and there's not enough of it. And one of the ways you increase school choice is having more charter schools for nearly a decade. It's going to be 10 years in a few weeks' time since we enacted a bill to allow people to set up charter schools. And guess Mm -hmm. what? 10 years later, there are only eight of them in the whole state. Right. Because there is a roadblock to reform. There is an organization in this state that is called the Charter School Authorizer Board, but it is misnamed. It is the Charter School (laughs) Non-Authorizer Board. It lives to say no. It has got a record of 80% of applications it rejects. Right. And I think it behaves like lots of these bodies. It represents vested interests who, let's whisper it gently, just between us two, they don't really like charter schools. Yeah. And we need to call time on this. Why have we got a charter authorizer board that isn't very good at helping set up charter boards? So I think we need to break the monopoly of this self-serving cartel. Does it seem like maybe that those who have the authority to appoint members to that board are appointing members that aren't really favorable towards charter schools? Well, if I had responsibility for appointing someone to the board, my first question would be, do you believe in charter schools? Yeah. And I wonder if that question is always asked, because if you have a board that doesn't believe fundamentally, passionately, that we need more charter schools, charter schools are good because they elevate the condition of education and they change the life trajectory of kids in Mississippi. This has been shown right across the United States. And every time they say no, every time they reject a perfectly good, adequate application on the grounds that it's imperfect, they are consigning kids in that neighborhood to the poverty of low expectations. And it's appalling that this happens. So, yes, let's increase the number of people on the board who believe in charter schools, but let's break the monopoly of the charter authorizer board. In other states, it's normal to allow charters to be approved by universities. Another way of doing it might be to say, once an organization has been approved to run a charter school, you shouldn't need to come back and get permission every time you want to open up a new school. One of the reasons why we've got so few charter schools in Mississippi is because private investment and capital and know-how can't come into the state because there's so much uncertainty. Uncertainty created by this say no to everything board. Florida and Arizona really kind of setting the standard. Uh, in this area. Yep. Or even, you don't even need to look that far, and it's not a perfect system, but look at New Orleans. Louisiana's done really well. Every public school in New Orleans is a charter school, and if it can work for them, why can't it work here? Yeah, that's a good point. All right, health care. Gosh, that's something that's gotten gotten a lot of attention here in the state of Mississippi the last few months in particular with uh, Department of Health. Uh, Dr. Edney coming Mm -hmm. out in in revealing that uh, we have 122 hospitals, 54 rural, Mm -hmm. half of them are in really fairly desperate financial Mm -hmm. condition, and he's sounding the horn on this. Mm -hmm. What should we do? I think conservatives need to stop defending the status quo and recognize we need change. But how do we change? Mm -hmm. If you just take federal dollars, you're not going to fix the problem. If you use federal dollars to subsidize hospitals that aren't delivering enough care for patients to generate the revenue, you're, you're, you're propping up something that's not sustainable long term. And if you use federal dollars and throw it to the healthcare system without increasing the provision of healthcare, you're just going to push up the costs for all of those people who have to 
scrimp and save to be able to pay their insurance costs. So what we need to do is, and I was very encouraged that the governor identified this as a priority the other week, you cut the cost of healthcare by getting rid of these rules introduced in 1980, not that long ago, that limit the number of people who can provide healthcare. Those would be the certificate of need rules. It, it It is extraordinary that in the United States, a so-called free market economy today, you have what are in effect socialist restrictions. It's worse than socialist. They're restrictions that act in the interests of existing providers. And there's a very powerful lobby in the legislature that kills any attempt at getting rid of these restrictive practices. But people in Mississippi pay the price for this through higher healthcare costs. Stop and ask yourself a question. It's wonderful that the two sides in this healthcare dispute between the insurance provider and UMMC have now come to an agreement. Right. But isn't it absurd that you have such a monopolistic system so that, you know, you, you, you've got a huge um, provider? Why don't we have more providers of healthcare in Mississippi? Um, if you had more providers of healthcare in Mississippi, perhaps you wouldn't get into this kind of standoff situation we've had for the past year. Perhaps if somebody wanted to open a new uh, MRI scanning facility, they would be able to do so without having to get a permit. Do you know, it costs something like $11,000 to have an MRI scan in Mississippi. Right. Why not allow competition to cut the costs of that? It's absurd. These laws have to go. Yeah. I've been crusading on it for, it seems like, 20 years, and mm-hmm. it just it just never gets any traction. There's a very powerful vested interest in the legislature. Maybe it's time for conservatives to identify what these vested interests are. And if people can see how a cartel is short-circuiting the political system for their advantage and that it's costing ordinary Mississippians, maybe conservative lawmakers might actually do something about it. Yeah. All right, so you're also advocating for a women, a women's Bill of Rights yeah. and a parents' Bill of Rights, which we touched on somewhat. But uh, tell us about the women's Bill of Rights. What are you doing there? What do you think maybe is missing that hasn't already been done? Well, there's this idea of a women's Bill of Rights, which would simply codify for the purposes of law the common sense idea that, you know, um, a, a, a woman and your status as a woman is rooted in basic biology, your, your, the composition of your chromosomes. Um, we, we think that there may be a case for actually passing a law that spells this out. Now, we okay. passed the um, Fairness Act to try to safeguard women's yeah, sports. sports. Um, but perhaps we need to go further. And I think there's a strong argument now. If you had asked me even two years ago if we needed this, I would have said it's absurd. <laughs> but Given how absurd the woke agenda is, where they're attempting to define what a woman is, not on the basis of biology, but on the basis of self-identification, perhaps we need this in Mississippi to try and avoid having kind of some of the problems that other states have got themselves into. It totally is crazy when you think about it. We have to codify this? I mean, it's is fairly well established, I thought, like for a long time, since the beginning of man and woman. I mean, I thought, you know, if you've got a, a, a... the XY chromosome, um, that made you male. XX yeah. chromosome, that made you female. And I thought that was, I, I think I've got that the right way around. I thought that was basic biology, like two plus two equals four. But apparently not. Maybe we need to legislate for this. Oh, it's crazy. All right. So um, anti-ESG, we've talked about that quite a bit on the program. Yep. What are you looking for there? First of all, I think we've got to be careful. A conservative believes in the free market should make sure that they're not advocating a cure that's worse than the disease. Sure. We need to make sure we're not in the business of telling private capital how it should be allocated. What this is about is making sure that public um, resources, the, the, the state treasurer, 
public um, yeah. pension funds are not being invested in pursuit of ESG um, goals. Some states have already done that. Some have, and we need to make sure we do it, but we need to make sure we do it the right way. I'm, I'm having a lot of discussions with various different groups in the state okay. to make sure that we do this in a way that's consistent with free market ideas. We don't want to use the levers of the state to try to force people to do conservative things. That yeah. would be wrong. Got to be careful. I yeah. totally agree. Douglas, appreciate you coming on, and, and uh, I like the plan. I like the program, and uh, look forward to seeing it get some traction, hopefully, and attention. Thank you. When those folks get down to the legislature in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, and a yeah. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Same to you, sir. Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. <laughs> 